Welcome back to What's the Point? My name's Taylor Miller. And I'm Ned Marks. We hope you enjoyed our last podcast, episode three, on the subject of global warming. Um, and for this week's podcast, you know, Ned and I were sitting around thinking about what to talk about. And, you know, we ended up having a, a nice conversation about, you know, how we grew up, uh, Ned in Connecticut and myself in California. And we realized that we had radically different childhoods that helped define who we are today, you know, and what we're doing and where we're going. And it, it made us think that, you know, a great topic to talk about and one that's very relevant to today's society is the idea of nature versus nurture. You know, to what degree um, are we shaped by our environment compared to, say, our genetics? Right. And it's a, an issue or a topic or a debate that's been kind of raging and, and you know, at least um, relevant for, for a number of decades now. Um, but really, what does the question even mean? You know, are the two things separated, you know, are you able to really distinguish that one is the cause of a certain attribute or behavior or the other? Um, you know, can we even really have this debate meaningfully? Yeah, you know, Ned and I definitely think that it's a question that's fundamental to the human condition. And I mean, psychologically, behaviorally, you know, and or physiologically, there's little doubt that both nature and nurture play at least some influence in how we're defined relative to other individuals. You know, but at the same time, there are definitely instances in which either one seems to significantly dominate the other, if not completely dominate it. And so, you know, the question or a question that we have is, you know, what defines the relationship between nature and nurture in a given instance? And what are the triggers that allow one more prominence over the other? And that's a great question. And, you know, it brings up a lot of debate now. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, uh, literature and, uh, you know, issues that pertain to pop culture um, in a lot of different ways. And for me, it brings up the, the rugby scene or the football scene from um, the movie Wedding Crashers that, that I think really hits on it the best. I, I don't know what's good enemy today, guys. It's just nature versus nurture, Lodge. Nature always wins. <laughs> That's pretty funny, man. You know? Yeah. And, and, well, the question is, does nature win? Does nurture win? Is there one that really comes out on top at a certain point? You know, is there a reason for for one to be, uh, you know, your defining characteristic, or not. Right, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, if you think about it, you know, when a child is born, they obviously, you know, from the minute that they come, you know, from the minute that they're born, they have obviously a specific phenotype that is genetically determined, uh, you know, whether it's skin color, eye color, you know, the size of, some, the size of someone's hands, etc., but at the same time, I mean, there are plenty of environmental factors that can predispose um, an unborn child to genetic mutations or physical traits that affect their phenotype. So, you know, it's, it's not clear even at the earliest stages of one's life when you would think that genetics dominate, um, you know, over, say, you know, the physical environment. It's not clear whether or not one is really more prominent than the other. Right. And, you know, now we're coming into an age of science in which, you know, we've mapped out the human genome. We, you know, are doing things that are pretty much unprecedented within, with regard to stem cells and research. And, you know, I wonder if we're at a point now that we can actually test some of these hypotheses. What do you think, Taylor? Well, I, I definitely think it is possible. Um, te technology and, you know, specifically technology in science is creating um, an ability to... Um, control more and more variables with respect to human development and evolution. 
Um, but you know, at, at the same time, uh, if you if you put that on pause and think about a time, you know, an era or a period when we didn't have those abilities, you know, think of the way that individuals, humans, as well as animals and other organisms, developed um, throughout the you know throughout time. You know, it was through Darwin's idea of natural selection. And when you break apart natural selection, really what it is is a theory predicated on the fact that over several cycles of birth um, within a given species, um, genes will alter in response to their environment to better suit the species or organism to survival based on external stimuli. So to me, that's pretty interesting because what you're saying is that there is a fundamental genetic component that defines people, but even that very fundamental genetic component is influenced and changeable by the environment. Right, and and to what extent does your nature come into it versus the nurture of your environment? Um, it's almost impossible to have that study without using people that are very similar or exactly the same. And so luckily, we as humans are able to, to test this out on people like identical twins um, and, and see the difference between... You know, what people who have grown up with the exact same genetic code look like when they are treated in different environments. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because there have been studies about this, you know, there have been studies that look at the similarities and differences of twins, whether monozygotic or dizygotic twins, um, as they grow up. There, there have been plenty of studies like that over the decades, um, the most recent decades, I should say. And they have mixed results. You know, and a lot of times um, these twins will have surprisingly similar habits, career paths, etc. But at the same time, there are studies that suggest the exact opposite. So I don't think that, you know, I don't know in the aggregate actually um, what these studies say. You know, whether they suggest that one, you know, that similarities tend to prevail more often than differences. Um but it's definitely clear that in a lot of a lot of time in a lot of uh, situations, twins do exhibit um, similar behavior. But you know, it's funny because I've been friends with multiple siblings, um, some of whom are identical, or a few I should say who are identical, and others that aren't. And there didn't seem to be a clear pattern between whether they exhibited the same behavior or not. I know twins, identical twins actually who um, couldn't be more different from each other behaviorally despite looking exactly the same. That's very funny. Yeah, and I, and I have grown up with, um, you know, knowing uh, a small number of, of twins, but, um, you know, despite their, their immeasurably similar looks, uh, you're right. Oftentimes we find that their, their personalities, their reactions, all, all sorts of different stimuli that they, you know, then expose themselves to cause different reactions within them and they're very much different people and so um, you know that that suggests that nurture at least has a lot more to do with their nature because the nature is the same but the nurture is probably somewhat different um, coming from different sides of, of um, you know the twin spectrum right and you know it's also interesting that um, you know going back to the power of science and technology you know, one of the more interesting developments in biotech in the last couple decades has been the ability for us to splice, quote-unquote, genes from one organism and artificially insert them into another live organism. And I'll get into the significance of this in a moment, but just to tell you, sort of illustrate how cool this is, I remember uh, in high school biology reading um, our bio textbook, and they showed mice with um, genes that allowed uh, a bacteria to illuminate itself in the dark 
insert it into these mice so that there is a picture literally of the lights turned off in this laboratory and these mice running around in a cage illuminated in a bright yellowish green like fluorescent color. A bioluminescent mouse. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And it was like, you know, at the time I wasn't even 18. I'm sitting here like, this is insane. How could this possibly happen? Little did I know, and as we've seen, you know, that sort of technology is becoming, you know, not, it's not, not surprising or not a big deal at all. But little did I understand how that really worked. But, you know, the ability for us to study this subject further, particularly in the context of technology like that, really indicates that, you know, we may or may not come to a better understanding of, you know, how nature and nurture interrelate. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, going back again to the twins, uh, you know, conversation, it may not be very clear, uh, you know, or it may be the one that they're equally important. I'm not sure, Ned, if you have like a pre- you know, if you have an opinion on this going into our conversation as to which one is more dominant, but I think that they are definitely relevant and that they're intertwined in so many complex ways that technology is required for us to really better understand it going forward. Yeah, well, I mean, to actually pick a side is very difficult because I'm not a scientist and I don't know how much, you know, my genetics really has to do with a lot, but if I were to pick a side, I would probably go with nurture because that's the only side that I really understand. And that's my own personal experience. And every personal experience really affects you in the way that you are. And, and you see it a lot in you know, the way that you grow up, where you grow up, who your parents are, what they're like, what kind of parents they are, how they treat you, how your brothers, sisters treat you, if you have any, um, you know, how your peers treat you. If you've been in you know, things like car accidents or near-death experiences or you know, all sorts of different factors that can possibly be nature-related seem to be you know, the way that you make up the way that you think and right. the way that you react and the way that you, um, you know, move forward. And, you know, I think we see this a lot within relationships. Within relationships, you know, you have a relationship, you know, with someone and um, the way that you're treated by them, the way that you treat them or the way that it ended or, or you know, any kind of um, external influence it has on you, you often bring in what's termed as baggage to your next relationship. And right. so... I find that nurture is, is far more, at least for me, um, something that you can study and, and see some sort of influence on. Right. I, I definitely agree with you. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting because this is a subject that's been discussed for several hundred years at this point. Um, and it really began um, in earnest, at least in, in, in Western uh, philosophic or intellectual thought, um, I would say, I think like the late 1600s and early 1700s, so right around the turn from the uh, Renaissance to the Enlightenment, you know, the intellectuals of that era began discussing this subject in earnest. Right. Yeah, and, and I think you're you're referring to uh, John Locke's Tabula Rasa. Exactly. Yeah. So so for those who don't know, that's um you know a term coined by the uh, economists that you know basically means a blank slate view. Um, you know, that's the I believe the translation. Um, you know, basically saying that all behavioral traits or almost all are acquired um, from your nurture, from, you know, the experiences that you had. And so, you know, that at least begins to give an idea of the separation. You know, where do we separate it? Is it separated at behavioral traits? You know, is that what really helps to determine um, 
the debate on nature versus nurture. Is that where it is? Deba behavioral traits and then maybe physical traits are more nurture. I'm sorry, nature based. Right. You know, and and, and to the point of or in support of tabula rasa, if you think about you know behavioral traits that are or seem to at least at least seem to be purely defined uh, by nurture, I guess an extreme example would be language. You know, we come out of you know a womb not knowing how to communicate. Um, to any significant degree other than crime uh, and maybe a few other things like failing our arms. But, um, you know, in learning a language, you know, not only is the, is the act of an individual learning a language defined by nurture, but the development of a language, you know, etymologically and linguistically is a great example of, you know, nurture-based development over you know, several, if not, or I guess numerous, uh, generations. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when you're learning a language, that's something that seems to happen for most people at a specific time, and it takes a little while. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something that develops in a very specific kind of way. You know, it's funny. A lot of cultures, um, and this is a bit of an aside, but a lot of cultures have the same word for mother or mama or dad, dada, because... As you know, and, and we see this in, in in different languages like the Navajo and in Swahili and in completely unrelated languages, English, for example, um, and and a lot of parents are the influence for this, and the reason, or they think they're the influence for this, but really they're they're not, and it's that babies have a much easier time pronouncing B's and D's and consonants followed by uh, syllable or by vowels and then another consonant, so mama or dada becomes very easy for them to say um, whether or not that's related to the, the, the nature of themselves or the nurture being called mama or dada. It seems like that's more um, nature-based. Yeah, you know, that's actually very interesting. And it, it actually, I was just, as you were saying that, I was just thinking, so, you know, take, for example, another example in which you would think it might be a, a nurture-based development, but I think that there are fundamental nature components in play. Think about food and one's preferences for food, particularly when you're younger. I mean, we all know that people can develop a taste or a dislike for food um, as they grow older. But when you're young, I, are you not? I, I think I would, I would, I would imagine at least that you're predisposed, based on your genetics, um, in part, to preferring a certain type of food or certain types of food um, over others. You know, I don't think that the environment completely dictates what someone prefers to eat. Um, I think, you know, for instance, uh, when I was a child, um, I, like, I, and I feel like I'm in the minority here, I could not stop eating raw tomatoes. Really? I feel like most people disagree, or most people were of the opposite preference when they were, you know, growing up. But I, you know, I don't know how to explain that uh, from an environmental perspective. I don't think there was anything significant in my environment, good or bad, that, def you know, that would have influenced me to like tomatoes more or less. I just love them. I, I, don't, know how, I don't know how else to put it. I guess I was a weird kid. But, you know, it, I think that, you know, one's tastes, literally one's t preferences for taste are at least in part defined uh, by influences uh, related to genetics or uh, growth and development before birth. Hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah. And, and, but we, we do seem to develop tastes over time. You know, there's the um, idea of acquired tastes, things like beer or coffee, you know, things that we don't drink when we're younger that, you know, a lot of times if we 
you know, if parents allow their child to, to take a sip on, um, you know, a, a glass of beer or, or some coffee, they usually, you know, turn their nose up and, and really don't enjoy it. But then later on in life, these are things that are consumed almost on a daily basis for some people. And so, um, you know, it, it's certainly something that develops and is, you know, part of the, the way that seems like nature kind of brings it about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but I loved beer when I was eight. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Beer and, and raw oh, tomatoes, so was, huh? Yeah, man, I was you, a weird kid. You certainly had a different kind of childhood than I did. That's what happens when you grow up in the liberal Bay Area. <laughs> but, you know, so, so you know, to our point, um, you know, things, again, things like language seem to clearly be defined you know, envir by environmental influences. But then other things that you might think are predominantly defined by either nature or nurture, such as, you know, what you prefer to eat, um, I don't think that there is a clear, you know, answer. Um, and I think that it's a combination of both that has an equally important role in defining, you know, what one does prefer and what one, frankly, in certain instances, is able or able or not able to eat. And, you know, when I say that, I really mean, you know, think about food allergies. You know, a lot of time people are born with food allergies, but in other instances, people develop them as they grow and develop. And even after adulthood, they'll develop allergies. Right. And and something like, um, you know, some, some traits like or, or diseases like diabetes, those are things that you develop. And, um, you know, it tends to be because you have an increased intake of sugar. Um, and so that's, that's very much, you know, based on what you've actually done. But, you know, sometimes people just develop them more naturally without actually knowing, you know, why why these things really came about. And yeah. so it's difficult to say without scientific rhetoric behind it. Um, and a lot of scientists these days think that this dichotomy has outlived its usefulness. But, you know, we are in an age of, of really unprecedented science. Yeah, I think it's worth exploring whether or not we think we can actually dive into this and actually test something. Well, what, let me ask you a question. Now, when you say that the debate or the dichotomy has outlived its usefulness, what exactly do you mean? So many scientists think right now, it, this was in a survey from 2014, that um, really the debate should be retired. And the reason is that in many of these fields of research, close feedback loops are found in which both nature and nurture are influencing one another constantly, and you can't separate the two meaning you can't control for one another, and therefore no conclusions can be made. Um, but whereas, you know, other fields, it's very much easy to, to test something while you can control for one um, different subject and and therefore come to conclusions. Um, and one, so... One know, subject or variable, right? One subject or variable, exactly. Right. Um, and, and so it becomes very much difficult for this. And I think the one of the most interesting is, is some of the more hypothetical topics that we have or issues within pop culture and you know some of these include you know whether or not we should clone people whether or not you know someone like Adolf Hitler could come back and do the same things that he did when he was cloned whether or not homosexuality is more of an ingrained you're born with it trait versus something that you are um, you know really that you decide and, and I think that's you know very much a uh, something that's still debated, but I don't understand really why. I think it's pretty obvious the, the answer to that, but, right. um, you know, it's still popularly discussed among those. Um, you know, identical twins, again, separated at birth, how much different are they? They tend to, to actually see a lot of differences, while some things that, you know, you might not be able to explain still remain the same. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, 
things like this. And and I love I love the idea of going into them and and kind of picking them apart and seeing how they go. Right, and in a, you know, in a broad way, humans retain the capacity for um, to do you know, amazing things. And by amazing, I mean either amazingly bad or amazingly good. So when you go to the example of Hitler, for instance, like, you know, if we were to, like, in an alternate world, like, let's say we were able to clone him and we did, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all. In fact, I would expect that he ret would retain the capacity to do some of the, you know, horrible things that he did. But at the same time, there is a huge influence of the, there was, you know, there were environmental factors to say that were at play that triggered not his, uh, not his capacity to do bad and evil, but his ability to do it. Right, certainly. You know, being an outsider, being from Austria, not actually being German, um, yeah. you know, probably contributed to a lot of his, um, you know, raging, uh, just idea that, that he that he was never, you know, he actually thought very much that he was never good enough. And so that's why he was so driven to to perfect. Um, and, you know, obviously his, his experience within World War One, where he was a soldier, where he was, um, you know, uh, where he saw some of the fiercest battles and gruesomest deaths within, you know, what, human experience can imagine from, you know, his incarceration and, and his writing of Mein Kampf, you know, my struggle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously all of that had a huge influence on, on who he was. Yeah. And, and I mean, even more so, you know, it required a major depression and the imposition of, you know, terrible economic regulations by foreign powers to bring him to power in the first place to ever give him the chance to do what he did. So to to an extent, you know, this kind of goes back to, you know, it's analogous to, say, the food example we were talking about earlier. Yes, people are born with, you know, predefined capacities, so to speak, that either allow them or don't allow them to do something, uh, whatever you might have it be. Um, but then it requires um, a degree of influence by nurture for that capacity to be triggered and manifest. Right, I agree. And so there was there was a book written in 1976 called The Boys from Brazil. And this was a book about Brazilian Nazi hunters. Um, it's very interesting. So what happens in the book is it turns out that, you know, quite a number of um, humans are cloned on, under the um, genetics from, from Adolf Hitler. So Adolf Hitler clones, you know, up to uh, a several dozen of them basically running around and what they tried to do within the book the people that had cloned the Hitlers was not just clone him but also bring him up under similar circumstances from which he would develop you know some of these anxious traits and delusions of grandeur and a, a very interesting you know concept in could this could this new clone of Hitler turn out to be as bad as the original version? Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, if I was to take a guess, I would say probably not because, like, I, you know, like I mentioned previously, you know, it required a worldwide depression and other major international events, um, which you know, in, in many cases are historic um, in their precedence, to really allow him to do what he did. But, you know, that's obviously just a postulation or an educated guess. Right. And I think, you know, it, it, to go to, you know, to, to, to lean away from that and look at, you know, contemporary research of the subject, you know, a, a very recent article came out, um, or excuse me, a study 
um, and the uh, in the publication Nature Genetics uh, came out this year, um, titled you know a meta analysis of the heritability of human traits based on 50 years of twin studies, and the study is you know self-explanatory from the title, and I can get into the details, but basically, over studying twins for 50 years, uh, researchers for uh, this study found that nature and nurture were both of equal importance um, in the net in defining the um, characteristics and um, tra characteristics, traits, and behavioral tendencies of fraternal twins. Well, yeah. And again, you know, it seems to harp on the idea that these scientists have of the dichotomy being retired because there's just no way to... to to separate the two, right? You know, we we are influenced by everything that passes through us, both physiologically and from a, an experiential standpoint. Um, and it's just you know difficult to to really to separate them at, at any means. Um, you know, getting back to, to this to this issue, you know, this this begs the question. You know, a lot of reason behind why we consider you know cloning such a dangerous subject is. You know, a lot of people say, well, what if we clone Adolf Hitler? Well, now it seems that that's probably something that we can put to rest, that that wouldn't happen, you know, if we cloned Adolf Hitler, wouldn't turn out to have another, um, you know, mass genocide Side. ruler. Yeah. Should we try and clone people, you know, to see a little bit more about how this can be effective? Well, you know, I, I, I mean, that is a very controversial subject. You know, and one side of me... Um, supports cloning for the subjects, uh, you know, for the further for the advancement of humanity and the advancement of our scientific knowledge, but at the same time, you know, it's it's it goes to the idea of you know how can you ensure that another live human lives a sufficiently fulfilling life to make that a morally and ethically acceptable manner of gaining additional knowledge and furthering, you know, our existence. I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. I don't know if it's frankly possible at this juncture, but you know, in, in, in you know, to voice my opinion, uh, or, or to state my opinion, you know, succinctly, if those conditions were met, I would be very open to doing so because I think it could create, you know, a huge frame shift in the amount of knowledge that we currently possess. Right. And, and what we're trying to do here on what's the point is, not necessarily give out our opinions on the matter, but simply introduce the matter as you know subject that has uh, you know relevant debate topics and and provide all sides of an argument so that we can really understand you know and you as listeners can understand how you want to frame your your belief yeah. um, without necessarily us giving too much about what we believe in. So we tend not to give too much about you know what we are. Uh, are thinking and believing in regards to this, but you know, at, at certain points, we certainly have to um, show our bias, and you know, there are there are certain ways in which we do so. We you know, really just try and be as as um, unbiased as possible. Right, and you know, if 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 you guys have an opinion that's either similar to ours or or different, we're we're more than open to uh, hearing from you. Uh, you can feel free to reach out to us um, either by email or through our website, um, because you know we're. These are just. This is just the information that two individuals have been able to gather and sort of discuss in a way that we hope is enlightening to you. But you know, the power of of you know technology such as podcasts is that they allow for the collective to think about and discuss topics. You know, amongst other things, to think about and discuss topics together. 
And you know, we're we're more than happy to consider anything that you might have to say about any one of our the subjects that we discuss in each episode. Right. That being said, now I, I think you know a very important and relevant topic for many people in this in this day and age is the issue of homosexuality. Sexuality, with regards to this, you know, we have Christian pray the gay away camps, which advocate for people being able to to turn their their uh, identity around and become straight and, you know, remove the homosexual urges that they have. That are environmentally influenced at right, the end of the day. Right, right. Which, you know, honestly is a bit ridiculous um, because it's it's very well seen that that's something that, you know, is not a choice, is just natural. Um, but, you know, we don't seem to, a lot of people don't seem to take the science into account when, when discussing this, yeah, thinking you know, about this. Speaking of the science, so, you know, homosexuality is a trait that's been um, displayed um, in the behavioral tendencies of, you know, other an other organisms, uh, ranging from, you know, animals all the way down to insects such as flies. And, you know, I, I'm hard-pressed to think that with respect to animals and insects, that environmental aspects um, were the primary determinant or the sole determinant in, in dictating, you know, their sexual preference. And mm -hmm. I, I think that that um, speaks to the very subject of homosexuality within the human race. Well, it's very interesting that you mentioned that, Taylor, because there are actually interesting studies out there about the nature of homosexuality. Um, you know, one that, that came out um, about, uh, about 10 years ago now said that men with older brothers are more likely to be gay. Um, the study found that each older brother raised that that one individual had raised the odds of homosexuality um, by a third. <laughs> so you'd be a third more likely to have a gay younger brother than you would be. So that explains a lot about the Brady Bunch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But you know, it, it's 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 clearly um, you know. I, I, well, that's interesting because so so. Where, where do you put that in the nature versus nurture realm? So obviously, I think that has to be nature. You know, yeah. that's that's probably something that comes from the nature of having that many boys. You know, when you have, if just thinking about it environmentally or evolutionarily and through psychology, you know, once a uh, a, a woman or a, a parent has a boy, they are now able to continue to um, you know reproduce and, and pass down their their genetics. And their seed, um, they not they don't need to be able to have more and more boys to be able to do that, and so that is potentially uh, a cause of it. Right. Okay. That's, and and you know, uh, again, you know, we would certainly love to hear from you know our listener base as to whether you know you agree or disagree with this. Right. But I, you know, I, I think I, I think that um, you know there certainly is uh, a role played by genetics. Um, with respect to you know the predisposition of one's sexual preferences, and I think that in a lot of ways um, this is true with um, behavioral traits or um, excuse me not behavioral traits with with traits that um, we may otherwise not necessarily understand you know the role of nature versus nurture to begin with. So. Right. You know, there, there's plenty of, of subcomponents that we could talk about. 
But, you know, we will leave it to our listeners to, you know, let us know if there's anything else that they think is, you know, of relevance to this great subject or this sort of large subject. Right. Um, please, please feel free to, to give us feedback on this. You know, obviously we're treading some topics that have some controversy and, um, and are not taken lightly. And so we always want to be able to be more well-informed when, when broadcasting and, and when giving our opinions and when giving the facts um, you know, perhaps there's something that we've missed out on that's that's greatly influential. Perhaps there's people out there that have gotten or have been through similar issues that we've talked about today that we'd love to hear from. So please feel free to give all your feedback that you can. Um, you know, obviously this is a very relevant topic within within uh, uh, popular culture today. We see movies made about it. We obviously have debates about it, and it's certainly of influence and, and of interest to us to to continue to become more well informed and to help you become more well informed as well. Right, and that is our ultimate goal: is just to provide you with um, information and a discussion that can really open your mind to um, the topics of that are of relevance to our society and to the world today. Yeah, so thank you again. I believe that that concludes our fourth podcast um, from What's the Point? Um, again, this is the Nature versus Nurture debate. My name is Ned Marks. I'm Taylor Miller. And thanks again. We will join you uh, next week for another very interesting open debate on uh, something either newsworthy or within the realm of uh, substantial popular interest of the day. Thanks again. Good night.